Okay, welcome back to Rockstock Channel. It is Monday, January 15th uh, in the morning, and I'm wearing a Michigan hat and a Michigan shirt uh, because I'm superstitious. Uh, I believe in karma. Uh, I'm taking my alma mater, Michigan, winning the college football national championship as a good omen you know, for lithium in 2024. Uh, Rodney and I, uh, first, though, are celebrating our fifth year anniversary of uh, working together. Uh, I've been doing lithium for 15 years and Arc Equity has been in business for 20 years. But uh, it was 2019 uh, after Rodney and I found each other on LinkedIn and Twitter that we uh, decided not only to start working together, but also launching our first ever podcast, um, which was in January 2019. So we're going to take a stroll down memory lane uh, a little bit in the first, uh, you know, segment of this. Uh, just bear with me; it'll be about a 15-minute monologue, which uh, I, I I find you know helps put things in perspective and also helps to kind of analyze you know where we are today and what 2024 and 2025 might look like. Before we start today's video, we'd like to thank Lithium Royalty Corp listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange, ticker symbol LIRC. We'll share more later in the video. Um, before I begin, just want to uh, remind everybody, if you don't already get the lithium-ion bull emailed to you, please go to our website, rkequity.com, register your email there, and you'll get our monthly musings in the lithium bull. And uh, for these videos on Rockstock channel on YouTube, you know, please like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. And if you're up for it and want some proprietary content from Rodney and I on a monthly and quarterly basis, please go to patreon.com slash rockstock channel and look at the 10, 100 or $300 tiers. So speaking about superstition, um, you know, it may be a good omen that Michigan won, but we don't know. Superstition has fooled me before. In 2020 bear market, I looked back and I looked forward uh, and placed some faith in, you know, the animals in the China Zodiac, you know, which served well up until last year. So I tweeted, you know, an almost famous lithium 2.0 uh, lithium bull in 2020, where I put up the, uh, the green years of 2016, 17 year of the monkey and the rooster, followed by the red years in 2018 and 2019, you know, the year of the dog and the year of the pig, appropriately named. 2020 was a transition year, the year of the rat. If you remember, COVID was first believed to stem from the wet food markets in China. But then we had Battery Day in September 2020, you know, which set the stage for 2021's year of the ox, a raging lithium bull which was followed by an even faster 2022 year of the tiger. Now I had expected one more positive year in 2023's year of the rabbit before cautiously turning to this year, 2024, the year of the dragon and next year's year of the snake. And at the start of the year last year, it looked like it was turning that way. You know, Piedmont renegotiated their offtake with Tesla at market prices from Quebec rather than fixed prices from Carolina. And then LG Chem wrote them a $75 million check at $70 stock price. Winsome Resources, another RK Equity client, following Patriot and James Bay, hit a peak price of $2.40 or so. But like many others, both of these stocks are down 60 to 70% from those early 2023 highs. In March of last year, I presented at Benchmark Minerals event in Toronto, and I talked about lithium rush, an oversupply of lithium investment opportunities, but still maintained a bullish outlook for supply, demand, and pricing. Rodney and Matt Fernley in an April video correctly called an April bottom. Spot lithium carbonate rallied 80% from April through June to a very healthy $43,000 a ton equivalent. I and TD Cowan's David Deckelbaum saw the traditional positive setup in September for a strong finish to 2023. Take it to the limit one more time was the title of a lithium bull following a visit to the Eagles concert in September. Matt Fernley summarized our post-summer 2023 call succinctly 
in his first battery materials review launched last week. Oops. In that same tweet about the China Zodiac in 2020, I referenced Sir John Templeton's famous quote about bull markets, born on pessimism, grow on skepticism, mature on optimism, and die on euphoria. Lithium euphoria died six to 12 months earlier than I had anticipated and has been displaced by a very fast and very strong pessimistic outlook from which the seeds of the next bull market will be sown. I've been reading a lot on X about plagiarism at America's top universities, Harvard, Penn, MIT, from Bill Ackman, and the die philosophy, diversity, inclusion, and equity. But that won't be a subject of discussion here, except to remind our viewers and listeners of Steve Jobs famously quoting Picasso, good artists copy, great artists steal which was a quote Rodney and I used to launch Lithium Ion Rocks podcast five years ago as the second, but not the second best, podcast focused on upstream lithium battery materials. Regular readers of mine know of my proclivity for the double entendre. Today's Rockstock recap subtitle is Peak Pessimism. Peak, P-I-Q-U-E, as a verb, means to stimulate or to feel irritated or resentful. As a noun, it means a feeling of irritation or resentment from a slight, especially to one's pride. Many lithium bulls like me, I think, can empathize with this resentment sentiment. Chatter on X and LinkedIn is filled with angst and hope of when and if we've hit bottom. But have we reached a peak, P-E-A-K, pessimism, from which the next bull market will be born. Will 2024 be a big transition year like 2020? Or will it be another year of or more of pain like 2019? In our very first podcast, Rodney discussed his note, the lithium conundrum will continue in 2019. At the time, we were in year one of what would become a two and a half year deep bear market for lithium, which began in early 2018 with Morgan Stanley and Alliance Bernstein calling lithium a big short. Their analysis was loudly dismissed by many in the lithium market commentariat, but not in the equity market. Like Goldman Sachs' big bear call some 18 months ago, they were right, but for the wrong reasons. But nevertheless, they were right. As 2024 begins, we find ourselves again in a bit of a lithium conundrum. As mentioned in our year-end podcast with Mac Whale and Darko Kuzmanovich, a positive spin on spot lithium's 80% plus price decline is that it has happened so fast. So could a recovery, potentially a significant one, happen sooner? Rodney will share some current insights once I'm through with this long monologue. In our second ever podcast, I shared some bullish thoughts on Liven, and Rodney walked through his note about his top pick at the time, Gantrek. Liven had just been spun off out of FMC in an IPO on the New York Stock Exchange, and Gantrek had recently concluded its Hong Kong IPO. Both stocks were trading well below issue price and had similar market caps of around $2 billion. For many of us licking 2023 wounds, I point to the five-year performance on the lithium scoreboard, which is almost all green, in many instances, very substantially so. Some companies up five, 10, 20, 40 times. Ganfeng was up five times, but Livent has largely been flat. I remain bullish both companies over the next five years. As I noted in a tweet last week and in last month's Lithium Bull, I see Arcadium having scarcity value for both institutions and retail as the lithium industry's only pure play producer of size. Highly diversified in rock, brine, and DLE. Vertically integrated from resource to carbonate, hydroxide, and metal, with operations in the most relevant jurisdictions and selling to the highest quality customers in China and ex-China. It's also a potential takeover target for a group like Rio Tinto or an auto or battery OEM. I'm more bullish on Argentina than I've been in quite some time, you know, since the time under Macri. 
other players are going to be coming to the market this year, namely Aramet and the Trey Cube project that Zijin took over from Neo Lithia. I'd like to congratulate my friends at Lithium Argentina, or Lithium Americas Argentina, as Kachari Olaraz is now in production and at a rate of 6,000 tons, beating their most recent 5,000 ton guidance. But again, taking a trip down memory lane, here's a slide from a deck I prepared eight years ago when I was a strategic advisor to Western Lithium and Lithium Americas, following their sell down of 50% of Kachari to SQM for just $25 million. The CapEx turned out to be nearly $1 million for that project, which was two times what was forecast in 2016. And production only started late 2023 and now into 2024, five years later than what I and the company was guiding in 2016. Lax Kachari is similar vintage to Oracobre's Olaraz, which was the first new brine in Argentina for 20 years. Olaraz has had many production hiccups along the route to nameplate production capacity and battery grade, and they're still struggling a bit. Mr. Market will be watching closely whether Ganfeng, as 51% operator, will execute better. While it, while it has long experience in carbonate conversion, this is its first foray in conventional pond construction and brines are harder than hard rock. Initial commentary from David Deckelbaum at TD Cowan is positive in this regard. Lacks trading at less than 1 billion market value, arguably at replacement value for their share of CapEx and what they paid for millennial and arena projects. Cowan's target is $14, nearly triple the current price of $6. I've nicknamed Ganfeng both China Girl in homage to David Bowie over the years, but also as a leading indicator for when we might experience a broader lithium rally. My friends at the Swiss-based Thematica Fund put out this useful chart comparing Ganfeng to spot carbonate price, which show that Ganfeng's price has risen ahead of a rise in lithium prices. Will converters return to having the upper hand or will spodumene producers in 2024? Might Ganfeng's higher volume offtake deal with Pilbara just announced yesterday mean slower growth and production cuts at their joint venture with Minres at Mount Marion? Rodney and I will be scrutinizing the Q4 quarterly is coming out at the end of this month and into February very closely. Will Albemol, Arcadian, Ganfeng, SQM cut back at all on their growth capex? Will SQM and West Farmers really start selling spodumene into the market in 2024 from Covalent? Will Liontown, with substantial debt, continue to push pedal to the metal spodumene spend? Looking at the January 2020 scoreboard, I'll note there was a substantial lag from the time Ganfeng anomalously rallied 57% in 2019 before the rest of the market followed in 2020 and 2021. But lithium prices fell a lot slower in the 2.5-year bear market from 2018 to 2020. Considering that lithium remains under China domination, or some believe manipulation, I believe Ganfeng again will be a leading indicator for the direction of both lithium prices and ex-China lithium producer equities. But so will Pilbara Minerals, still more than 20% short interest. <clears throat> And the margins for both converters and spodumene producers will reach some greater balance so both businesses can be profitable. Another major indicator will be what happens with Sigma Lithium's strategic process. Will an auto or battery maker like BYD or CATL or VW, which have been widely rumored in news articles, actually make a bid to acquire the whole company? If so, at a $3 billion plus valuation, what would this imply in terms of a long-term spodumene price assumption that BYD and CATL are factoring into their models? We think that's north of $2,000. I'm not sure that we've reached peak pessimism. Like 2019, the lithium conundrum, the bull versus bear debate continues. The year began with downgrades of Albemarle from Evercore and likewise from Deutsche Bank both of which downgraded their long-term price assumptions from around $30,000 to $25,000.
We may see further downgrades from Perth as the Aussies return from summer holidays next week. Uranium, on the other hand, and Bitcoin are hot. Lithium is not. Freeberg, well, what do you got? What's your prediction for best performing asset of this coming year? Oh, I took the uranium ETF. URA. Mm. Easy money. Whether it plays out in the next 12 months or over time, I'm not sure. It's just an inevitability. I referenced the all-in podcast David Freeberg's call on commodities generally and URA, the uranium ETF in particular, as being similar to Chamath Palahapitiya's call on battery metals two years ago, which we used as an intro to many of our 2022 videos. What could trip up the EV revolution? What could trip it up is it needs lithium, nickel, cobalt. You can manufacture the cars, but if you can't get the raw material components, uh, you could be in trouble. This would be battery metals, lithium, nickel, cobalt. 67% of my followers on X see lithium a better trade than uranium. No doubt this is a biased sample, but it reflects a lot of latent retail interest in lithium equities, but it is not reflective of peak pessimism. This is what peak pessimism looks like. March, 2020, the bottom of COVID, Liven at 700 million market value, Minres 1.5 billion, Pilbara at 17 cents, Siona and Core sub 10 million market cap with dwindling cash balances. The current market, Mr. Market scoreboard does not reflect anything like such capitulation. Why can't billion dollar valuation companies four to five years from production have to 500 million valuation? Or why can't 500 million companies become 250 million? Or 100 million valued explorers fall to 50 million or 25 million? The financing environment's going to be tough. M&A will happen, but intra-industry M&A like Albemarle Liontown seems off the cards <clears throat> for a period of time. In Matt Fernley's note last week, he remains wary about lithium oversupply. He, like Ken Brinsden and Benchmark and Rodney and me and others, have argued for some time that not enough investment is happening in the lithium space to keep up with EV and battery demand. And yet, Despite gigawatt hours deployed being much higher in 2023 than anyone forecast in 2019, and I'm putting up a chart here of Rodney's forecast back then, lithium demand is much higher last year than it was forecast back then, but there seems to be enough lithium supply. It takes two years to build a battery plant. It takes five to 10 years to build a lithium mine. How has lithium caught up? Rodney, is the investment case for EVs and lithium still intact, as you argued at the height of COVID in 2020? Is the structural deficit here to stay? Yeah, look, um, Howard, uh, the EV demand has actually exceeded my original forecasts. Um, I think what's happened is we sort of ran ahead and Tesla and BYD have done better than expected and now some of the traditional OEMs are sort of cooling off a little and, and everyone's kind of got ahead of themselves. But, you know, I, I still have um, a market that's going to be, you know, tight this year, um, possibly not so tight uh, in, in 25 and 26, and then tighter again further out. But the thing that's very difficult, and we've discussed this with various players in the industry, is it's almost impossible to do a supply demand forecast and a structural deficit out to 2030 when you don't know what the price is going to be each year. And what we saw is very clearly we accurately, along with others, projected a shortfall and a structural deficit a couple of years ago, and then lithium ran to $80 a kilo, and you know, material came out the woodwork. And what you saw is, you know, as I said in my presentation of one-to-one, -one, DSO, any sort of direct shipping or any low-grade material that you can just basically dig up and put on a, on a boat is the canary in the coal mine because that isn't a five to ten-year window. You can do that turnaround like you've seen in Africa and elsewhere. You can do that very quickly. That's not five to ten years when all you're doing 
is getting a permit to dig up straight ore. So I think the dynamics change when that material becomes economic. What happens though, is when you get to those prices and we had that great tweet from Dwayne Sparks and that's what I've been talking about for some time. He just put numbers to it, which was, was good to see when he, when he busted down so people can see it clearly in the numbers is when you do low grade lipidolite, how much dirt you've got to move, what sort of impurities you're dealing with. I won't even get into the ESG, etc. And that stuff gets incentivized at a high price. And now that we're down to a China spot of 13,000 and whatever change, including that, that sort of material just doesn't fly and neither does DSO. So it's a dynamic market. It's a dynamic model. It's hard to say. But what I do know is if we go lower or get peak pessimism lower that you're talking about and there's no capital investment by the majors, M&A starts to cool off and we start to see care and maintenance, then you sow the seeds for the next run, depending on how quickly companies can come out of care and maintenance. So the EV demand, in my opinion, is running broadly on track. Um, I don't think people understand how aggressively China is ramping up into EVs. Uh, and Li Auto today came out with a forecast that they're aiming for 800,000 this year, up from 376,000 last year. You know, there's bright spots, BMW, you've got, um, you know, BYD going and then Tesla going to ramp up. Cybertruck. So we're still seeing some good things. And you've got to understand China last year overtook Japan as the biggest exporter of autos in the world. And it's literally been like a rocket. Now, clearly some of that goes to Russia and so on. You know, there's some quirks to it, but rest of world EV sales are, you know, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, grew at triple figures. So they're still in the early adoption phase, 100% plus growth last year. Uh, so I, I see EVs as broadly, maybe a couple of million has come off, but that really is a neither here nor there, um, you know, for the, for the end of the decade. Um, and the structural deficit, unfortunately, is a, a moving target. What I do know is that the current prices, and if we go any lower, I was going to set up the next bull market, but I, I'm hoping that we see lower highs because then it won't, you know, bring a whole lot of unknown material that's of poor quality and um, and not really suited for longer term, you know, out into the into the market and onto supply. So that's that's my my broad view. I think the things to watch is. If China ramps and foreign rest of world markets are happy to take their cars, their EVs, um, and you know you have BYD and whoever setting up plants in Europe, then um, you know EV growth, sales growth could could continue to be strong. The RA, you know, you've made mention of that. Is that going to help the US? I, I don't know how many cars are qualifying, but um, under normal conditions of not excessively high prices, you know, the structural deficit thesis remains. It's just, you know, if we go too high again, then, you know, everything and, and anything becomes feasible and then that threatens, you know, that, that scenario. Jumping in here from the editing room to tell you about Lithium Royalty Corp. Lithium Royalty Corp is at the center of a global energy transition and manages a globally diversified portfolio of lithium-focused royalties in electrification and decarbonization. With 32 royalties on 29 higher-grade, lower-cost projects from exploration to production, LIRC covers all the bases with well-managed risk, ESG considerations, and a scalable royalty structure. Lithium Royalty Corp is traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange ticker symbol LIRC. To find out more, visit lithiumroyaltycorp.com. Okay, so you, you see we were walking through your model uh, yesterday, and uh, I looked at uh, all of the spodumene mines uh, that were in your um, 
in your model and, and, and the brines. And you said just like tweaking, uh, we were eyeballing five or six uh, spodumene mines in particular that, you know, if they're, if we get some care and maintenance or some slowdown, uh, you know, could, could result in what, like a 500,000 ton so, spodumene reduction, which would translate into, into what? So, so practically if everyone hits their targets, you would expect roughly a 15,000 ton oversupply of battery grade material next year, but there's about 65,000 tons equivalent of LCE in the spodumen side of things alone that uh, I think could easily come off if we don't see a recovery in prices and you see care and maintenance and so on. Again, there are some, you know, operations that are already there that, that don't have big resources. Why would you stay in production to break even if you've got contract miners? So I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, That's like Mount Catlin you're, you're referencing yeah. there, you know, at Arcadia, you know, like, why not preserve the value of that mine in, in, in for the higher price environment rather than deplete and make no money? Makes no sense. So, I mean, if, if, if Western Australia, if you're using contract miners and there's a reasonably generous break clause, then, you know, why would you, you know, stay in operation and, and run down your resources across other, even those with bigger resources, why would you stay in production when it's doing you no favors to run down your, you know, your, your, your resource, you know, to make, to make no money. So I see good potential for about 65,000 tons to come off, which would put us at a 50,000 ton deficit, excluding, you know, destocking or restocking. So is the Ganfen Pilbara deal a flag on that? Because we've seen uh, spodumen and lipidolite production in China come off at the end of last year, and it's likely to dribble down. I, I don't believe, you know, the Goldman Sachs forecast that you can double the pitolite production at $11,000 a ton, even if that's expat. I still, I, I, I can't see that. I can't see that happening. I think the truth's going to, you know, come out there. Um, well, you, you've had some direct, you've had some direct input onto the actual cost of, you know, CATL, the pit of light and, uh, you know, our yeah, view, you know, we we've had heard feedback from in the Fang, cathode. They... Yeah. The cathode market suggested, you know, CATLs break evens about one sixty thousand rem NIMBY on, on their, uh, lipidolites. So it's like 25,000 us. No, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know. It's where, 23,000. Yeah, 23,000. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of, you know, and and as I said, we, even excluding any ESG issues and, and what the government may have to say. So let's see where, you know, where things are at, but you can't force operators. And, and I've been saying this for some time is, you know, when you, you know, it's it depends how much material you've got on the pads to to process if you still need to be digging that up and then you process but you don't ship because you've got to get enough for a full shipment. There are a lot of working capital cash flows and, and other things to deal with corporate overheads depending on which operation it is and exploration and so on. Um, uh, you know, I think the truth of, you know, cash, all-in sustaining costs are very different. I don't think that a lot of operations uh, will stay at, you know, full blown at a thousand dollars a ton. Um, so I, I think, you know, it's going to, it's going to happen pretty quickly. And, and then it's a question of how long does something stay in, in care and maintenance. Um, and then there's going to be a scramble because we've been saying all along, you know, the feedstock, the China, the Chinese domestic resources are not high quality. So, they can't just fill the gap at $13,000 a ton. I don't think, you know, I think they're losing money and, and people are going to back off. And then we're going to see how long people stay offline and, and where they come through. And, and, you know, Albemarle, as I tweeted today, Albemarle said a while back when prices were higher, 
they weren't at reinvestment economics. So at the current spot prices in China, obviously your contract prices are different, but I can't see that people are going to be putting money in the ground. And I think some new operations that are going to have teething issues and it's going to take time to commission and ramp are not going to go at the speeds that people thought they were. Those two, I, I've mentioned Liontown and Covalent, Mount Holland, let's see how quickly they want to scramble into production at these prices. Okay, I think, I mean, the Q4 quarterly is are coming out uh, in a couple of weeks. I think um, Pilbara starts, I think, on the 24th, so it's just uh, nine days from now, and they'll be followed by Albemarle. I strongly believe Albemarle will slow down their CapEx spend, and uh, if they slow down, you know, production at Greenbushes and at Wajina, that could have some impact. I don't know if Pilbara um, will follow that they did just sign that deal with with Ganfeng for some increased tonnage, uh, which demonstrates uh, certainly a commitment to a, a very good and long term customer. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I feel like there's still more pain in the short term. We're hearing there's still kind of like a lot of supply, you know, um, it, 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 it's hard to discern some. I mean, Albemarle was saying that, you know, at, at cathode makers, at, at converters, um, there wasn't a lot of inventory, but we're hearing others, maybe this lipidolite DSO, it's still kind of in the system in China and they can convert, they could reprocess. They just, no one, no one I'm talking to is, 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 you know, thinks that there's an imminent turn, but a lot of people are thinking that we, we got another three months to kind of work through. It's not just post lunar new year um you know thought process but but it, it is this curtailment that you're talking about needs to happen you know so eyes on arcadium eyes on albemarle as i said earlier i you know, think, I think how that's going to be you know because i know this is an unpopular opinion but if you exclude the destocking i had a slight deficit last year so there was an oversupply and okay. even some of the other models, the banks, JP Morgan, I think, even had the same. So in the end, there was destocking. And destocking, you can only do once. So right. let's it, see. And a lot of the, let's a see. Lot of the destocking you're talking about was actually in cathode and in battery cells, not necessarily, you know, in inventory at the converters. And, and you saw and, that because you saw, you saw the amount of sales going out versus, you know, how much, you know, growth in cathode production and, and versus gigawatt hours sold. And, you know, there was the missing, there was some missing link there and, and also the, um, the, the batteries. So we will see this year, I think you're right. I think if care and maintenance, if we see a couple of operations cut back materially or go into care and maintenance, then it will be interesting to see if there's panic. And then we'll know if people are starting to scramble for material, because this is where the truth comes out, is they cannot rely on China domestic supply. Right. The destocking that you're saying can only be done once, and the destocking, which was due to excess inventory at the cathode and the battery level, that excess cathode and battery, like the big thing that I think everybody missed, including ourselves, was not recognizing that there was not just a shortage of supply in the last cycle due to Wagner shutting down and, and Altura shutting down, but there was actually an over demand in battery production in 2022 in anticipation for very substantial sales in 2023. And, and we, we did had have a horrendous sales. start, if you remember. No, no, early 23 was a disaster, Q1, if you remember. Everyone was hoping we're seeing very good year-on-year year growth. Yeah, yeah well, if you look at year-on-year year growth for this year over last year, I think China first week was 66% up year-on-year year because the beginning of 2023, the Jan, Feb was a little better, and then March, October, January was a complete disaster. Mm -hmm. February was a little better. So we started a year with a whole lot of inventory. Production levels are still quite high, and the, and the sales numbers just, just weren't there. I mean, I knew there was some inventory building, but I assumed maybe, you know, that the industry, if EV sales were going to be strong, could absorb some of it. But then I got some got feedback 
later on from some of the OEMs, you know, that they had tons of tons of inventory. So they've had to work their way through that. Now, I guess we'll know now whether that destocking is done or not pretty soon. But I think, you know, the, the question is, you know, is, you know, if Chinese operators are losing money, you know, how high can the price go and they still lose money and still keep producing? I don't think they can keep it on, you know, keep going for indefinite. But your argument uh, largely, as we've discussed uh, in the recent days, is that we're going to see supply curtailments, uh, which will result in price bottoming and then recovering. Um, but what about the possibility that we could experience, like we did in 2022, you know, in over demand, a, a demand surprise? I mean, what are your forecasts? And yeah, look, um, I don't, I don't have a demand shock. I have a supply shock for this year i think if if we if we see some operations come off demand i'm similar to bloomberg i think i have 22 or 23 percent up for ev sales and for gigawatt hours deployed so not huge and then might still be over 20 for next year and then i go into the high teens so i i don't believe i have excessively high compound rate expectations and we know that we're getting some carbon emission standard adjustments in in Europe next year in 25 and then again you mentioned in that a few years ago you and you, you you were right in pointing I remember three four years ago you you were so focused on that and you said there was one year I forget which year it was where there was a, a big increase in demand and then you said the next few years will not have that bump but you're now saying yeah, so they, we so should they did we it in 20, 21 if you remember and then they flatlined to 25 so I, I need to do a bit of work about whether the, the fleets are down to where they need to be, but there've been some concessions on these e-fuels. So I'd need to have a look, but the biggest issue you face in Europe is what an EV costs versus what an EV costs in China. In China, there's competitive, you know, EVs available at cheap prices. You look at these models and you just can't believe how they can sell them at those levels. Whereas in Europe, and in the, you know, in the UK, which I put up in the one-to-one, -one, it's eye-watering what they charge for an EV. Right. And um, Germany's okay. cut subsidies. So that's also caused, you know, December, this EV sales dropped substantially in Germany. Right. And Germany's being hurt, I think, by the gas prices. Uh, again, I heard and, that from uh, you know, the GDP podcast. growth and, and, and what yeah. have you. So, yeah, I mean, so look, I mean, it's one market, but it is a big market in Europe. But um, as I say, China is going well. We'll see how the U.S. goes with more models that come out. You know, the Volvo's got a sub $40,000 model or whatever. As more, you know, well-priced EVs come out, I think people will be interested. Um and uh, hearing, in China, hearing... sorry, go ahead. China domestic and China exports into rest of world are not in any stretch of their imagination slowing down. Mm -hmm. They're picking up a lot of the slack. Okay. Um, well, I'm here in the U.S. and uh, the U.S. market. We have an election year. Uh, sentiment toward you know anything kind of climate EV is quite negative. Uh, I'm just looking at you know posts on X, you know, Tesla is underperforming so far year to date. Um, and there's not been much change in the negative sentiment toward, you know, EVs and, and just climate stocks generally. And in the election year, which is highly uncertain and is going to be very volatile, we need to watch it. You know, the Iowa caucuses start, I think, tomorrow uh, and then New Hampshire. So, uh, there is some hope that it won't be Biden versus Trump. You know, we'll, we'll see what other people, you know, we'll see what unfolds there. But it's possible we'll, we'll have clarity by that by November. We should. Um, and Q, by Q4, if it's not like the market's pricing in a very negative outcome, they're pricing in um, that EVs are, are, are not interesting, right? Or it's going to be niche or whatever. But um, we have had some headwinds at the start of the year. Hertz, uh, you know, uh, with their Tesla vehicles, giving back like 20000 at, at low prices. Um, you also had, to, you just made the point, the, the IRA EV incentives were very limited models, uh, but that should 
could change over time because some companies will source less from China. Um, interest rates are still lowering and they're considered to kind of go, go down further. So there's, there's some optimism, you know, that, that, that that'll help the cyber truck. Um, I think reviews are pretty good, but they're not yet scaling on that. And there's lots of talk, you know, if Tesla launches a, a low cost vehicle, that you know, I think that could be very successful and would be very stimulative to to demand. But right now, that's that's just speculation. That the, the chatter is, look, is more hard. I mean, if you, if you look at all of the things, so people, it's the charging network. So Tesla's opening up its charging network and opening up more charges. That's going to, you know, incentivize people to have a look. If you've got a lot more models that are priced below the average price of a new car in the US like the Volvo and so on and it gets IRA credits that's got to be you know we, we are moving the one good thing about low lithium prices are we are moving to price parity between EVs and internal combustion engine and over life of vehicle that should be tipping into EVs favor you know currently or soon it's about range anxiety and Charging networks and those and those kind of things, I guess, is um, is what people will need to see because it is a big market, and uh, you know the performance metrics of you know the Cybertruck, you know, pulling and towing against the you know an us you know vehicle and so on. It, you know the metrics are good, so it is an important market, and and you know, it would be very helpful for lithium demand given the size of battery packs that US. EVs are going to have to get the U.S. market back on track. Yeah, and right now I, I think yeah, market is biased negative, and until there are uh, data points that prove otherwise, and you know, they're pr prospectively there, but the market's not going to believe it. But by Q3, Q4, um, that, that that there could be an upside surprise, and you know, will we be at lower levels before we get to the, that 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 more optimism? You know, we we shall see. Uh, we did hear, uh, Rodney and I have both been having uh, three, four conversations every day uh, with lithium industry uh, producers, uh, executives, uh, you know, at, at development companies, um, you know, some sell side analysts and, and some some fund managers. So we're 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 weaving together a mosaic. We have, you know, another 10 conversations, you know, set up for this week at least. Uh, so we're just kind of you know, real time conveying uh, or piecing together, you know, you know, our thoughts. We'll have a lot more information, I think, again, when the Q4 results kind of come out in the next couple of weeks, that will give us a lot of information to digest. Again, if you're a Patreon subscriber, uh, you get access to Rodney's proprietary uh, quarterly analysis as those are coming out. We don't put those all in the public domain. So if you want to hear in real time uh, Rodney's uh, proprietary thoughts, uh, please go to patreon.com slash rockstock channel. Um, but one of the things we heard from one of the uh, executives was that both SK Innovation and LG Chem, who have pouch cells, were, were struggling to some degree, you know, with their high nickel, you know, pouch cells uh, for the American market. And that could be the reason why uh, GM and Ford you know, have not been able to produce cars as cheaply, uh, you know, or as efficiently, because uh, again, these cars are, are battery electric cars. Uh, the battery are, are the brains of the uh, of the business. But those, the commentary there was that they're working those through, and and even Mary Barrow said that in her last call that um, you know the Ultium was having some production hiccup and. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll see more lyrics and, 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 and other new products kind of come to market. She still has a full commitment. On the other hand, she's quite political. And who knows if Ford and GM are just going to wait to see the outcome of the U.S. election. And if the political winds, you know, turn another way, um, they'll they'll change course. But anyway, to the point I made earlier, uh, 2019, you wrote the lithium conundrum will continue. I think uh, it is still a uh, conundrum. It's not as clear. Uh, we've been doing this a long time. Uh, lithium was unknown when we started, uh, and then it was on CNBC every day. 
you know, for 2022, 2023, we should take those signs as, you know, maybe toppy signs, which is why I put out that tweet about uranium as, so, as soon as I saw Pippa Stevens talking about uranium. Um, but quite frankly, on uranium, I'm bullish. I'm still long. I don't know if I'm going to double down on my URA, um, but it, it feels like 2021, you know, lithium in uranium, which means we have another year of, of positivity in uranium, if I'm right about that. And then maybe 2023, um, when everybody else is saying, you know, uranium is going to be in structural deficit for five years. And that's that's everywhere. Uh, you know, that'll be the time to sell, you know, on the uranium score. But um, anyway, uh, Rodney and I are uh, busy uh, noodling over a number of other uh, initiatives we're going to you know, be, be doing this year. What I want to ask you, Rodney, just what does this overarching analysis mean for where to invest and what to invest in lithium? Should you, you know, we just talked about, should you double d down on uranium at a 52 week high, or should you average down in lithium, you know, with stocks at 52 week lows? And which stocks yeah. and which themes, you know, is hard rock in Western Australia and all the M&A activity we saw late last year, even for small projects, going to be the way to go? Uh, or is Argentina, you know, which we saw in 2021, had massive M&A going to be a great place? We didn't even talk about like SQM, and we're, we're going to be interviewing some people who have good knowledge about what's happening in Chile. But um, let's quickly like talk about SQM and, and, and our thoughts there and where to play. Andy Leland of SE Insights uh, made a, a comment, you know, well uh, popular, you know, ex post. But one of the components of that was he was he was arguing you know, you don't want to be in the producers. You don't want to be in the early stage explorers. You want to be in advanced stage developers, you know, that, that might get bought out. Um, that's like right in the middle of the song curve when um, equities tend to not perform. Um, do you agree with that? So Howard, I mean, like anything, and, anything in life, I mean, you look at what's going on in the Canadian stocks lately. So mm -hmm. they've taken the beating of a lifetime. Um, even great drill yeah, results at like as Azimut had fantastic I mean, drill I mean, results just, right where Patriot just, is, right where Winsome is, and the stock went down. So, so it's it's a tough one. You know, you've got to you've got to sift through it. And I think ultimately, like anything in life, it comes down to the individual company. Some of them are extra beaten down. Some of them aren't. Some of them have money, cash in the bank. Some of them don't. I think you know if you are you know. I wouldn't want to invest in a in a late stage developer that still needs money, you know, because that's going to be hard to come by, as we know. So, sure, you know, how to, we we always say, you know, do your own research. This is not investment advice. So I'd rather keep going <laughs> along with that. But um, for my money, you know, if you believe that on balance, you know through the ebbs and flows, we are going to continue to have a structural deficit because again, we haven't spoken about it, but I think uh, solar plus battery storage is going to be huge. And I think energy storage is still going to come out with some huge numbers that are underestimated. Uh, and China is gearing again to that market with specific form factor cells, you know, and I think that's going to be on the upside which may take up some of the slack from EVs, but um, I still, you know, like the the end of a drill bit, early stage exploration. It is what I built, you know, early stage of my career and success on. Um, but you do have to catch the cycles, right? Otherwise, you get burnt. But um, for something where you are literally paying, you know. There is no real enterprise value above cash, and you're really getting a very cheap option onto some prospective ground. That's good. You know, we mentioned this before. Some of the early exploration plays, the value started to run really high before they drilled. You know, just on rock chip and all of these, you know, clever announcements. But um, I do think if you are, if you've got some, if someone's got some good land, and most of the market cap is in cash and they're about to drill. 
then you know there's opportunities and if you know a flow through financing continues in canada and in particular in quebec then um you know you're getting a lot of bang for your buck raised to drill so you know i mean it's bizarre where winsome is at given you know that they raised all that money and they still have 60 whatever million in the bank so you've got and they have to spend, 18... they have to spend a great they have to spend a great deal of it they can't conserve it because that's what the flow through financing was used for um, yes so, so i mean you've got an 80 million at the moment 80 million enterprise value in aussie dollars for 60 million tons of resource and that's it's that's, basically it's less than a million dollars a ton when i think it was euros hartley saying you should get 10 million and i mm -hmm. thought that was a bit rich but one tenth of that that's quite something regardless of whether it's chalk or 43 101 or however you you want to define that resource you know they've got a lot of assays still coming in that have already been done and paid for that are likely to take it to 70 anyway so and size garners a premium size of resource garners a premium and 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 canada you know in terms of clean power cheap power and a you know and a, and a government you know in quebec that's keen to promote battery minerals so you know brazil is also i think exciting minister reyes is proving to be the hot area and i'm told you can't you can't find any land it's all gone now so we'll wait to see you know how those the drill results goes but that's what i would say you know and you know i think for brazil, producers so brazil you know, sorry before you go on to the producer brazil and africa and argentina you have competitive tension with china in um canada and the us and europe you know that's harder so as much as we have been supporters of uh, ex-China supply for ex-China demand, the reality is, you know, this is a China-dominated market. Um, and, you know, if CATL or BYD or VW comes into Sigma, if they get those numbers, I think that could be a, that's a very important Q1 catalyst um, to demonstrate corporate strategic demand, because we're hearing you know, as much as there are a lot of people with data rooms open for spodumene supply and others, there's there's a lot of people who have signed NDAs, but how many are actually going to put in bids and where are those bids, uh, you know, going to come in? I think we might see actually, we shall see. Now is the time to strike or three months from now or six months from now is the time to strike, but I'm getting a sense that the auto OEMs who might have gotten a lot smarter over the last few years than they were a few years ago, nevertheless, are kind of like looking at the price going down, 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 down and thinking, well, maybe I could just wait or maybe I don't have to buy a mine uh, as everyone was advising us. So, yeah, so, so we'll see. But you were going to say about the producers. Um, Look, I think, you, you know, Howard, if, if you know if the marker that Sigma gives or what have you, if you look at my long term lithium price i think is in the mid 20s xvat um and spodumen you know around whatever call it 1800 to 2000 what is you know the long-term run rate and financial ratios of someone like an albemarle so do i need to be cleverer than that and go into something that has the commissioning and ramp up risk for you know, for for a slight tweak, when I can be buying Albemarle on a forward multiple of sub ten comfortably, right? So another way, know, I, another way of saying that is, if you see Albemarle as prospectively a double, you know, or Arcadium or Ganfeng, okay, the safe haven stock or the Pilbara for that matter, that. Um, will be the first to rally, should be the first to rally. But if you see that, even if it's 50% upside in those companies, um, you know, the bar to go on, on a more risky scale, you, you need to be seeing, you know, three, five times your money. But you could certainly get that from a, a, a 10 million market cap explorer with four or five uh, million dollars I mean, in cash. That, that could get to 100, to that can get to 100 million. Um, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, but I'm but, saying the early, but a pre-production, you know, or late development company, I, 
as we're seeing with inf you know inflation and costs and whatever and ramp up issues it's not without its perils so i would personally want a big performance premium to take on that risk that's just me right or maybe they get acquired um rather than be a single yeah, the, asset that, you know, in that, that's company. great but i mean i let's be honest i mean guys are going to be real cautious about uh doing acquisitions i think for yeah. the next while as they sort of just execute on their organic growth plans Absolutely, Albemarle is not going to be making a big bid, in, in my opinion. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see what we'll see what they do with their Patriot MOU, you know, for the downstream. But um, uh, I, there was one last thought I wanted to um, say. Oh yeah, the uh, you know a few years ago I was I was talking to somebody and we were you know a sign of bullishness is that the lithium bull me um, is uh, you know bearish or or not as bullish. As as always, but we we also have when you've had certain successes or have you know missed out on certain successes like in Azure or a Winsome or a Patriot, where you've had these ten times upside. That's highly unusual, right? A few years ago, when I first started, and we were advising Western Lithium and Lithium Americas if we can double our money in a year, you know, we should be very happy, right? So if you could get a 50% return on an album all um, in a year or, or even two years, or even three years, that's a pretty good return, right? Or so e even in your favorite juniors, you know, if a, uh, you mentioned Winsome is, uh, what do you say, 80 million enterprise value, you know, if that goes to 160 or 250, I think that's a billion dollar company at some point but that could double or triple. Um, but but we, we just ratchet down our expectations because we had a very unusual time when lithium prices were outrageously high and maybe they'll get back to 35, maybe they'll get to 40, maybe they'll get to 50, but we should be thinking as we were thinking a few years ago that lithium at $12, $12,000 would be fantastic. You're now talking about 25,000. And yes, the cost yeah, but how up, least, but... you know, yeah, I mean, you know, given COVID or what have you, the cost curve is absolutely blown up. Yeah, much higher. But but even if the cost curve is twice what it was back then, um, you could still make good money at 25,000 is what I'm saying. Like, like know, a, a and, and, exploration and, and, story. And as guys, as guys often mention, so that's where, you know, um, you know, Argentina and the brands and what have you, I've always said, it's just, a question of ramp up time, but in terms of costing, you know, brands are fantastic on the cost curve relative to the pedal yeah. in carbonate. So yes. it's just, you know, as long as the economy is stable and the politics are stable, that's great. Um, and in the low cost, they'll never be stable in Argentina. They'll never be stable well, in Argentina. But, but, but right look, now, it's a question of <laughs> you know, as, as long as they can produce. And then on the hydroxide side, you know, um, low-cost integrated producers, in theory, the albumols and what have you, you know, they should be they should be good, you know, some of the others. And then, of course, even if you do brine to, you know, to carbonate, to hydroxide, that also, if you're a low-cost brine producer, by the time you do that, I believe that, you know, brine plus conversion costs can compete with even a decent integrated you know hard rock operation but the gearing and the leverage of course you know sits you know with hard rock if things get overheated and and you know you can get up and running quicker which is which is a question so interesting times but i think people need to understand that uh supply demand models and pricing are all very much you know integrated and um when prices are high, you know, don't expect, you know, expect, you know, supply to come from all sorts of weird and wonderful places in a lot shorter time frame. And when times are tough, expect capital spending like now to come off and expect, um, you know, very much slowdowns in commissioning and ramping up of new projects as, you know, they try and conserve their balance sheets, you know, why would you just go into production for the sake of it to lose money because you said you'd do it on a certain date? You're not going to do that. You're going to wait. Right. So I think that's the market we're in. 
And then it becomes how long does stuff with care and maintenance, how long do projects go offline with care and maintenance? And what is the real truth on Chinese lipidolide and spodumene? What is the, the honest break even and cost curves of those? And can they be subsidized, you know, um, if they are or if there's some shenanigan going, how long does that last? Because it, it's got to be tougher and tougher as you go to the lower and lower grade, poorer quality, bigger impurity deposits. I mean, the 0.3 stuff and the 0.4 stuff, yeah, I, I mean, that, you know, that, again, it's like DSO, that stuff, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't be viable. Right. Okay. So good first interview or podcast or recap. Um, Rodney, it's good to see you. Uh, you're in Mauritius. Um, it's freezing cold here in New York. I, again, superstitiously, I'm going to be optimistic given uh, my alma mater won uh, this year. And uh, I don't know that there's much correlation there, but <laughs> watch the elections. It's going to be a volatile year. Lithium um, may be a specialty chemical, but it is uh, has commodity-like cyclicality, uh, boom-bust velocity. We've said this over the many years. So I am now in year 15 in lithium promoting um, and uh, looking forward to uh, working with you at least another five years, Rodney, as we uh, ride this downturn into the next upturn. Well, if it's still a downturn, maybe there's another 15 for you waiting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care.